Thank you for just your faithfulness uh, in giving this morning. Um, you'll notice behind me, the pastors are going to help just set up a table. We're doing, I have someone joining me in a few minutes to um, just be a part of the message this morning. But just before we turn our attention to God's word, I had had uh, someone had shared with me, uh, someone had shared with me just a, a written word. We here at State College Assembly, we believe just in the, the full gifts of the Holy Spirit and function uh, and in flow. And, and one of the things in scripture you see is that he flows and he speaks through the congregation through an individual. And um, we've talked about that before, and we teach on it on a regular basis in our Moving Forward class. Um, but one of the things that we believe in is a gift of prophecy, and someone had written out um, a word that they had felt was for us this morning, and I've had it with me, and I've just been praying over where to place it, and often I'll share it just coming out of a time of worship of response. But this morning, I felt like it would be fitting to share just before we turn our attention to God's word, and it just really speaks to opening our hearts to receive from God. Um, and it says, he is here, he's pleased with us, his people. He has prepared a great outpouring of his spirit, but he is waiting for a people whose hearts, lives, and entire being are fully surrendered to him. This great outpouring will be powerful and purifying, greater than any before it. It will draw his people into a more perfect union with him, making every person that comes to him whole as he intended. But he cannot make the, the whole that which he does not possess. He desires all of us, every aspect, every fiber of our being. Many of us have held back areas of our lives that have been stained by sin. He desires that too. He will renew what has been broken, but we must surrender it to him and hold nothing back. And I just encourage you as we turn our attention to God's word, just to let it speak to your heart and speak to your life and just challenge you to open your life and let God speak and really visit perhaps parts of your heart and parts of your life that have been challenging and perhaps even areas where failure has come in and areas where um, you just feel like you've kind of left it tucked away and really bringing it in a place of surrender. Well, this morning, we conclude our series, Rise Above. We've been looking at the life of David and not so much an exhaustive study of the life of David, but just key events, key defining moments in David's life, both inwardly defining and outwardly defining. Um, and if, you, if you're not familiar with the story of David, I would encourage you to read in First and Second Samuel primarily. Also in First and Second Chronicles, you'll find some of the details, but First and Second Samuel, you really get a, an in-depth view of David's life. And among the things that we've looked at, we've seen with David the progression both from being kind of a no-name nobody to becoming the king in the nation of Israel. And one of the things that we've looked at, we've seen some high points, we've seen some low points, we've seen some, some temptation points and challenging points in the life of David. And this morning, I would like to look in David's life and look at what I believe is a very dark season in David's life. And it's a season where David spent a, a great deal of time hiding and living in the caves. In the story of David, he goes from really being a young man, kind of in the backside of a hill, watching sheep that really no one else knew about, to running a seemingly insignificant errand for his dad. He's probably run similar errands numerous times for his dad. And in all of those times that he's run the errands, it's kind of just been run the errand and come home. But he runs an errand for his dad that God uses to propel him into the national spotlight. Um, he's been secretly anointed by king, as king by the prophet Samuel sometime before that. But he runs this errand for his dad, and he hears the taunt of Goliath. He steps on the battlefield, and the rest really becomes history. David quickly advances to becoming the nation's really favorite beloved son and one who people sing great praises about and celebrate and out of that, it really sparks the ire and the jealousy of King David, or of King Saul. 
And David quickly goes from being the, the nation's most loved son to being the nation's most wanted man. King Saul is hunting David and trying to kill him and trying to really strike him down. And we've looked at different parts of that last week. We talked about that relationship challenge that David had with King Saul. But one of the things that happens in this time where David's on the run from Saul is he goes and he begins to live in caves. It's one of the stories we looked at last week in 2 Samuel 24. But he begins to live in, in a number of caves, a number of hiding points that he goes to kind of live there and be with his men. Now, most experts, we don't know the exact timeline of how long that stretch was that David was hiding in caves, but most experts say it was at least seven years. So seven years of being on the run for his life, hiding in caves. I think that that would count for a very dark season, that his being anointed king and his uh, great love from the nation and from those around him seemed like a very distant, faint memory And all he knew were those who were with him and this band of rebels and really the rejection of the nation and the king and this hiding in caves. One of the things that we see with God, and we've talked about this in the life of David, is that God does some of his greatest work in the most obscure places in our lives where we find ourselves. He does some of the greatest work in some of the darkest places of our lives, places where we see no evidence of God at work, places where we see no no breakthrough coming, we see no advancement or changing in our desires or our purposes or what we want to see take place. But God, in the midst of all of that, is working in the darkness. He's working in the stillness and in the darkness. And we see this with David specifically because in the Psalms, one of the things that we've talked about with David is David is very relatable to us, and he's very relatable because through the Psalms, we can look into his heart and we can look at some of his prayers and his heart cries to God in the midst of his darkness. Some of the Psalms that David wrote in this time of darkness, in this time of, uh, of really great trial and this dark season, uh, Psalms 34 is one of them. It's a great Psalm. If you look at it, you read it. Uh, Psalm 142 is another one. Um, just a great heart cry of David, both of despair and desperation, but of determined trust and worship in our Heavenly Father. Uh, Psalm 57 is another one. I want you to listen to this. Psalm 57, verses 1 through 11. It says, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sins from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are like sharp swords. And he says that I'm just hotly being pursued. I'm about to be overtaken. I'm being crushed. But then he says this, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for me. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awaken my soul. Awaken harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. In other words, David says, in my darkest place, I will still choose to worship and to praise and to trust in the faithfulness of God. In verse 9, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So we see that in David's darkest space, in one of his darkest seasons, both physically and literally and figuratively in David's life, we see that in the midst of all of it, not knowing what the outcome would be, 
uh, still expressing all of his heart pain and grief, he's choosing to worship God. In fact, I love in, in verse 8, he says, I will awaken the dawn. Um, I think I've said this before, and I have this kind of written out in the notes next to, my, to that verse. It says, I will awaken the dawn, kind of that, that crossing point from the darkest of night to the breaking of morning. David says, in my darkest space, I'm still going to choose to worship God. I don't have to see the answer, but I'm going to choose to worship. I don't have to see the breakthrough yet, but I'm still going to choose to worship. But it's this dark season that, that David is in. And I think as we're here in the Christmas season, and I know that many of you, some of you have talked with throughout the week or even this morning, talking with me about travel plans with Christmas. Others have family in town or coming in town. And you're in kind of all of the, the full throttle of Christmas. We're in the week of Christmas. And I know in a couple of days we're meeting for our Christmas Eve service. Just an exciting time, a fun-filled time, surrounded by family, friends, a number of things. But for many individuals, you're kind of in the Christmas mode. You're celebrating Christmas. You're going through the motions. You're doing everything that comes with the Christmas season. But, but as you look at your life, your Christmas season is kind of overshadowed by a dark season. Just like David, he would have had little celebrations and moments to celebrate with the men that he was hiding with, but overall, it was all overshadowed by the dark season. And your, your Christmas season, well, well, it'll come and go, is overshadowed by a dark season. And for you, that, that dark season could be any number of things. Uh, it, could be, it could be physical. Perhaps you, you've been dealing with a number of physical limitations or even concerns that, that have taken you to the point that you've met with a doctor, and perhaps, perhaps there's results that you've been told that, that you're fearful of sharing with your family, and so you said, I'm just going to wait till we get past the holidays, and then I'm going to sit and have a conversation with my loved ones and begin to break the news to them about kind of some steps forward of what we're going to have to deal with. And perhaps for you, your dark season has, and not, maybe it's not physical, maybe it's financial. You're, you're looking at your life, you're looking at your numbers, and you're realizing, I'm going to have to make some radical, radical shifts if I, if I really expect to make it through the next year. And you're, you're kind of at a place where you, you don't have the answers, and you're kind of in that, that place of despair, that place of uh, a dark season that's financial. Um, perhaps it's emotional, that you have found yourself in a place where you're depleted, your empty people come up and, they, and you, you smile and you give them a handshake and they say, hi, how are you? You say, I'm fine, thanks. But inwardly, you, you feel dead. You feel empty. You feel drained. You feel joyless. You just feel broken, that it's an emotional dark season. Um, perhaps for others, it's spiritually. It's a spiritually dark season. You feel like you've moved into a space and a place where, where you're just, you're, you're, it seems as if you're just not hearing anything or recognizing anything from what God's speaking, how he's challenging you or growth taking place in your life. And for others, that dark season, it could be emotional. Uh, it, or rather, it could be, it could be family, relational. Uh, it could be family members and strained loved ones that really, during the Christmas season, the, the holidays, it highlights the strain of relationships. That you're around people or there's people who you wish you could be around, but because of strained relationships, whether it be with siblings or parents or, or children or any number of, of dynamics, that it highlights that. And so you find yourself in this Christmas season, but your Christmas season is in, in a sense enveloped by a dark season. Well, this past year in our church family, uh, one of the men here began in a journey, really began the year like any other, like many of you making plans and, and desires and, and things for the coming year. But he quickly found his 2019 in what many would describe as being a dark season. Most of you know Dave Cochran. Dave Cochran has been a part of our church family for a long time, very long time. For me, he's been a good friend. There's many times he's just given words of encouragement, whether it be email or a phone call or just in conversation. 
Um, and he's just been a very active part of our church family. He was a, a part of the elder board. Last February, as we were approaching our annual business meeting, just like today you were putting in your elder nominees uh, for the, that part of that journey in the uh, annual business meeting, as we were approaching our annual business meeting, Dave Cochran was up for re-election. He was one of our elders, and I think he was up for re-election for, I don't know if it was the second or third term, uh, but as he was up for re-election, we'd already, we're kind of just a few days away from the annual business meeting. Dave called me, and I remember just the conversation, and even as, where I was standing in our house as we spoke, uh, and he just, he says, Steve, I have to, I need to withdraw my name from standing uh, as one of the elders uh, to be reelected. And I said, well, why is that, Dave? And he says, well, I've been to the doctor. I've been having some medical things happening. And the doctors have found a large mass, and they found cancer. And not only is it cancer, but it's a reoccurrence of a cancer, a battle that he had had a number of years ago. And really, so he, he recognized that life is about to be radically different. Um, a very, just dealing with cancer and everything that came with it. Now, over the course of this past year, the past 10 months, Dave and his wife, Patty, their journey, their life, their 2019 has been different than probably a year ago today, how they would have charted out their year. They have made numerous trips to Danville, uh, lots of treatments, um, but just by the grace and the goodness of God, Dave is on the backside of all of those treatments. He's on the backside of that journey. But one of the things that has stood out to me most about Dave, and I've told him this a number of times, is that because he'll, he'll text me, he'll text some of the other elders, um, and regularly texting us things that God's just challenging him on and things that God's revealing just in, in the stillness of his presence. And the thing that has stuck me most with Dave, not only there's a number of things that, that have, but in his dealing with cancer, and really in this case, his second round of cancer, that he's not let it get into his soul. That it, while cancer may affect his body, it doesn't affect his soul. And his soul has just stayed very much alive and fresh in the presence of God and the things of God and how God is challenging him. And so I thought it would be good this morning. Dave has not, there's been a number of seasons where Dave has not been able to be with us um, just through different treatments. Uh, there's been kind of compromised immune systems and everything that, that go with that treatment plan. But there's been a few times where Dave would slip in and sit near the back, you know, sometimes with a ball cap on and then slip out. Um, and I think probably sometimes being around people a little bit more than Patty would have, would have probably given permission for. Um, but this morning, I thought it'd be good for you to hear from Dave and just get a chance to hear from him and his journey and how he's walked through his dark season. So won't you help me in welcoming Dave Cochran as he comes. David, it is, it is a joy to have you with us uh, this morning. I think you're on. Let me make sure. We've got, there you go. I mean, as, I, as I had mentioned, I kind of just tried to give a very brief snapshot background of your 2019, but I certainly didn't do it justice. Is there anything you can fill in and kind of that quick picture of what's transpired? Yeah, I, I think I felt my health declining in early February. So 17th, I was at the end of the elder meeting. I talked to Peter Seidenberg, who's, of course, an MD in the congregation. And I said, Pete, this is the way I'm feeling. What do you think? And he said, will you do me a favor and go see a doctor right away? So on the 18th, I went and saw a doctor. And, and they said, you're fine. It's just a stomach thing. Don't worry about it. Went home. And then on the 19th, 
I felt really bad. So we called the doctor, and the doctor said, get yourself to ER. So we went to ER Mount Nittany, and uh, they did all the normal things. I'm still thinking, well, it's an ulcer or something like that, nothing to worry about. Um, and uh, they did a CAT scan, and uh, when the doctor came back, I mean, his countenance had changed from being, you know, don't worry about it, everything's fine, we'll take care of you, to like the curtain kind of opened up, and I saw his face, and I thought, no, nah, this is not good news. And it, he said, we found some masses. And uh, Patty almost doubled over and went and sat down because she tends to faint. Um, hope she doesn't mind me saying that. Uh, <laughs> But um, but hearing that, you know, that moment that there were masses there, of course, he said, Patty right away said, is that cancer? And he said, well, it's cancer-like, so we're going to have to do tests to find out what actually is going on. But they saw mass, a grapefruit-sized mass on my kidney. They saw another mass of equal size around the small intestine and large intestine where there's join, and they saw some areas around the other kidney as well. So they were really concerned, and of course we were concerned. So um, the journey just gets crazy after that. We began calling family, and uh, a friend of my son's, uh, he's an MD from Penn State, and he said, Jonathan, you need to have an end-of-life conversation with your dad. So well, when we heard that, it's kind of like, wow, Lord, we got, we got a lot of praying to do, you know, a lot of leaning to do. And um, so that, after that night, that, that um, February 19th date, it was a bit of a blur um, because that evening I was in an ambulance from Mount Nittany to Geisinger. So the 19th was a very busy day. We got the guy singer, they ran tests, they did biopsies. After biopsies, you have to wait for the biopsy result. So you don't know what kind of cancer you have. You don't know if it's a mass that is cancerous or not. So we had this month of waiting. And that was a time when we had to really reflect on, you know, how are we going to handle this? How, what are we going to do as a family? Um, so lots of conversations, but... There's something that is really important that there's four things, I think. I hope I get all four right. But you need to be in the habit of prayer in your life. You need to have the habit of reading the Word of God. You need to be a, a worshiper of God, right, when you do those first two. The worship is such a key part of that. And then you need to have people who understand what you're going through because in those moments you need to circle the wagons and you need to let people know and of course one of the first people we let know was pastor pastor you know the elder board started praying some of the people started God started forming sort of the lean community the community where I could lean on certain individuals and he starts with the very core like his disciples if you notice the way Jesus' disciples were constructed, there was Peter and John. They were very close to Jesus. But then the rest of the disciples were there on occasion. And then he had a much larger group after that. And God formed these circles of friends. And I want to tell you as a congregation how blessed 
Patty and I are as a family for your prayers, for your so much kindness, encouragement over this last year. Um, Sometimes during this journey, there have been times when we didn't know what to do. There are very lonely times, but there was always a text or a Facebook message or a word of encouragement. Um, one of my favorite, several of my favorite was, uh, I shouldn't name names, but a wonderful gentleman who I love very much sent a message and said, at the very beginning of this journey, and it was just an unusual one, and this is before I was really thought a lot about it, was uh, he said, enjoy your life. And it's like, and then we got the message that it was a lymphoma and that we're going to have all these treatments. Um, another message was, Dave, this is not of God. God did not cause this cancer. So don't fall into that trap. Fall into the other side. Fall into his arms. Let him be the one who encourages you and helps you and guides you. And of course, as all believers, we immediately get to our knees and we cry out to God, God, heal me, right? That's our right as children of God. You go right to the throne and you say, Father, what's going on here? If you can, heal me right now. I want to be free of this. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this. But if he takes your hand and says, come walk with me a while. I need to talk to you, Dave. Then, then grab a hold of him and don't let him go because you need him every step of the way. So it's been, yeah, the whole year has been a wipeout. It's been a, it's been a, you know, and, you, and, and I love, by the way, by the way, being back in the family, this family here, being back in the congregation, uh, you, many people say, why do I need to go to church? Just being here is important. You don't know what you miss until you miss it. So please, if you are at home and you wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm too achy or breaky, whatever, to get out of bed and get to church, get, get to church right? Be around the people that love you. I had mentioned this was uh, kind of your second bout with cancer. How long ago was your first time? 21 years ago. Okay. So that was, um, that was August 1998. Okay. And I think if I remember right, in just some of our conversations, there was a poem, I don't even know if you can quote it, a poem that got laid on your heart during that first thought about the cross. Let's see if I can, I don't know. There is a cross that I must bear that takes me past the road of care, that takes me through a rugged place that I might, that I might know amazing grace. And uh, I, I call it my uh, forced leisure, right? When God takes you out of the normal track of life and says, no, you're going to spend some time with me. And you don't want to be taken to those places if you don't have to. Many of us have to, because we're, we're sheep. You know, God blesses, we're, we're sheep. And sometimes the shepherd needs to take us into, take, him, take us off by ourselves and say, look, we need to talk. And um, I think for me, a lot of it has been a time of listening. Because there's many times when you're in a hospital bed and you've got tubes and chemotherapy and those kinds of things going on, uh, you're not yourself and you just lay there and you go, uh, I can't really think too much here. Um, part of this journey has been journaling. And I have to go back a year's worth of journaling to understand exactly what I was writing at the time. Some of it's probably very interesting because I don't know what I was writing down. Sometimes it was just a word or a sentence. 
Other times it was Paige. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of good there that the Lord has uh, uh, shown me and, and shared with me. So it's a time of listening and a time of just leaning on him. And some of the things you've just shared we see in the life of David, because you said that having that, kind of, I think that, that root system of God's word, of prayer, of worship, and, and relationships. We see those in the life of David, and you just talked about that, and, and really the importance of cultivating that before you get to the, a desperate place where you really need it to lean on. Right. It really speaks to one of your messages. Uh, we would, because we have an hour and 50-minute drive from here to Danville, many of the podcasts we would listen to, one of the podcasts, I, think, I think it was number five, you talked about why did David have five stones? Well, those were in preparation for what he believed to be. There were other giants. There were other things that he needed to deal with. So he prepared himself for that. Um, and, and that's amazing to me that this is what God does in our own lives. He prepares us ahead and mm -hmm. in advance. Sometimes he even tells us things well in advance of something. And then it happens and you have to reflect back. That's why I think journaling is so important. You can reflect back to a date or a time. You wrote something in your devotional period where you say, wow, the Lord showed me that. He prepared my heart for it. But I was just a little da -da 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 to really understand what he was trying to say and do. Um, but it's encouraging looking back. Uh, my first cancer, my son, I don't remember how old he was. He was still in his footy pajamas. So it wasn't that old. And he wouldn't sleep or eat unless he heard my voice. And um, so there were times I was on the telephone saying, it's okay, Adam, if you eat. And uh, I remember one morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, he ran down the steps and threw himself in my lap because I was up. And, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's like, what are you doing up? And he goes, now that I know you're not going to die. Well, this is, this is the way God talks to children, how God uses children to bring praise for himself and blessing for himself through their hearts. And they don't know exactly what, you know, where did they get that theology or where did they get that understanding? But God knew I needed to hear it from somebody. Well, I'll use the little footy pajama guy, you know. But what a blessing it was. From that moment on, he ate and he was perfectly fine. Um, so there's wonderful blessings like that that come along. And they're just little tiny snippets of your life but they become little jewels and gems that you hang on to, right? You don't throw them into the pigsty and let the pigs trample on them. They're yours, and they're meant to bless. So um, it's very important for you to, to take time to, to reflect and think about the goodness of our Lord. One of the things I know through your treatments that you reached a place where you really couldn't be around people and you weren't supposed to touch and um, I, I remember one time stopping in to visit you, and we tried to keep our distance. And I was like, I, I said, I want to feel like I need to give you a hug, but I can't. But, um, and just that, that, that isolation from people. And I remember, I think I, told, I think I told my wife this, or maybe the elders, is that I said, I think that's going to be probably one of the harder parts of this for you, because you're very much a people person, um, that, that you've always said yes to being around people. In fact, there were times that you would send a text out, say, hey, guys, come on over. I'm ready for, for company. And I would reach, have Gina reach out to Patty and say, you know, Dave's ready for company, but we need to make sure that Dave's really ready for company. Um, I know. Because you're I've very much people-oriented. The thing that stood out to me, so out of that and who you are, I remember probably like the first couple of days, I don't remember the exact timeline, but those first few days you were in the hospital, I'd driven to Danville to see you, you had a, a roommate, and this roommate was not, had not been open to talking about his faith, not open to the gospel, but 
you began conversations with him that paved the way for me to step in and talk with him. Um, and then not only with him, but I also know one of the ladies in our church, Kristen Bell, her mom had significant health issues. I think she was battling cancer. Ended up at Danville. You found out about that, and you were going over to her room ministering to her. And the thing that struck me in all of that, so in most often in our pain and in our difficulty and challenges, it has a tendency to turn our eyes inward. But it seemed like you never, you never really let it, you become the center of this, but really kept your eyes outward and focused on others and letting God use you. Can you maybe just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I kind of fell in love with Larry. He was a Navy vet. He fixed the jets on board, I guess, aircraft carriers. And uh, he was sort of the guy who made sure they flew. Um, and uh, he, I, I loved him because the nurse would come to my area where the curtains had divided us, and she'd say, how are you doing, Mr. Cochran? I'd say, fine. And I think I was lying, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not fine. You're not in a happy place. She'd go over to Larry's area, and Larry would just rip it to her. What do you think I'm here for? You know, I'm sick as a dog, you know. And I think that there was a the truth, you know. He didn't want to be there. But we got to talking and uh, got to meet his wife. They had separated for a while. And um, later on in their life, they came back together again. So uh, she was very positive, and she loved the Lord. But Larry was still pretty hard. So we talked for a while, and I think, you know, you got to remember as a congregation, you have a responsibility uh, in Christ to share whenever you have an opportunity. Sometimes you're plowing the field. That's all God asks you to do. Get rid of the weeds, get rid of the rocks, plow the field. That's not fun stuff. There's no... Not a lot of glory in that. Um, sometimes, you know, you are the ones that put the seed in the ground. You meet somebody, you you tell them about the love of God, but it's a seed, you plant a seed, and then others come and water that seed. Uh, the one that gets a lot of joy is the harvester, of course. They come through and they harvest the crop, and they're, you know, they're the ones that are happy because, wow, look at the great crop we have here. Um, but you played a part. And the kingdom knows that, God knows that, and God sees your heart. So it was really nice to sort of be plucking away at the rocks in Larry's life a little bit. And um, uh, he got to a point where he was crying one evening, and uh, one of the nurses came in, do you want a chaplain? Because his news was not as good, right? We had heard the, the word curable spoken over us, but over him that hadn't happened. So he was really battling a hard time, having a hard time. And uh, he said, no, I don't want a chaplain. And uh, knowing the pastor was a, a vet, I thought, I know he's coming. So that day I, I said, Larry, I said, I know you didn't want a chaplain, but our pastor is, is one, of, one of you guys. He's been in the military. He knows, you know, what you're going through and and would you mind just visiting with him when he comes to visit me? you mind if he stops just over to your side? And uh, Larry said, absolutely, that'd be great. It's like, whoa, where do you go from absolute no to, you know, this would be kind of cool. So your background plays a role in your testimony. So, you know, whatever you do, whether it's, you know, workshop stuff, mechanical stuff, whatever talents God has given you, leverage those for the people around you. God will send you the people that you can open up to and share with, and he'll give you the right words to prepare the way. So 
You, you might be all of those things in your life. You may be someone who prepares the soil or someone who harvests all through that. But uh, many times God knows who he can use to do the hard work, preparing the field or planting the seed or watering it. Um, but don't, don't think that God hasn't noticed you or God doesn't care because uh, he'll use you. I think what stands out to me about that whole time, because God worked in Larry's life uh, just through your willingness to, to be open to it, but you were in a space of uncertainty. You were still in the very beginning phases. You hadn't heard yet of kind of the full measure of what you're going to be jumping into for treatments, and I can hold that while you grab that. Um, no, that's okay. The, uh, you were still trying to figure out treatment plans, and you were in a long space of uncertainty, but yet while your focus could have been inward, um, you were open to just the possibility and listening to what was happening um, with a, a really a crabby bedmate and letting God be able to minister through you. And I think that fits with something we talk about often here that most divine invitations begin as interruptions kind of into what's happening in our lives. And so um, really just how God's worked in his life. Yeah. Take the interruptions. Um, I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you get a prize, right? You, you take it. It's a gift. Take the interruption. Um, it, this is one of the things I think I've learned. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, even in my own family, and you know you love your own kids, uh, you love your wife, um, but all of us have these moments in our life where we say, leave me alone, let me have my quiet time or let me have my space. When that quiet time or space is interrupted, take it. Don't, don't, that's an opportunity. Something's going on there that's really special, so. Don't take interruptions as being bad things. They're good things. So mentioning that quiet time, you've had, uh, you've had a lot of space to, just to sit, to be alone, to be quiet, just to hear from God. You know, some of the treatment plans you were on had you sleeping very little hours and you were up at early, you know, early morning hours. So in all of this, I know that there's been a number of things that God has revealed to you. Um, are there just a, a handful of key lessons or significant uh, lessons? You can... You can share with us. I'll do my best. Um, I, one of the things that I, I'm, I like to sing, but it's never something I've stretched into. Uh, and I, my father was a piano player growing up. So one of the things I found that was the most encouraging to me, especially when I was woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't get back to sleep. By the way, they bug you every quarter of like, if you look at the clock, it's, it's you know, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and whatever, the 10 o'clock, is that right? If I got the quarters right, whatever. Uh, they bug you. And I, I get to a point where I could be asleep, and I know it would be that time my arm would just go out like this. Because they're coming to put a cuff on it. They're coming to put something on your finger. And um, it was almost funny. They could check me, and I'd be sort of asleep, and I'd be back to sleep as soon as they were done. But the interruptions were uh, a difficult time. But um, my son told me I should get a Bluetooth headset, and I should get a mix of songs that I would listen to. And uh, piano music, a lot of the old hymns, just piano, musical, instrumental. For me... I, I could I could let the the hours would speed by when I put the headphones on, and then I put a knit cap over that because there's nothing there to keep me warm, and I'd go back to sleep again. Uh, but I, but I'd have this music, 
pumping into my ears. And I, you know, from that two o'clock time, I could sleep well to four o'clock uh, before the nurses came back in to give me medicine or check my pulse or whatever. And um, it, it was good because if I didn't listen to music during that time, that time was long and heavy. It was really a hard time. Um, and I would, I told the Lord, I, I wrote it down in one of my journal entries where I said, boy, I love the mornings because that's when I hear the, the see the sun starting to come up and the sky start to clear and the birds start chirping around 4.35 o'clock. And I just absolutely love the morning, right? Because to me, it was like I made it through the night. Um, and then the Lord showed me a verse and it says, Lord, I love you more than I love the morning, more than they that are the watchmen. So the watchmen who watch through the night, they love the morning too. But David is saying, I love the Lord more than those who wait for the morning. And I was waiting for the morning. Yet the Lord says, no, you can wait on me. You can be in my presence during the night watch and enjoy me more. So the worship music was a wonderful time. And uh, there's a, several men in the church who use our version app to have devotions with me every day. And just, I mean, we back and forth, right? It's not, nothing really big. It's a very small thing. But when you think of how many days in a year these faithful men always participated in that little small version devotion every morning. Sometimes the answer would be, amen, great, thanks, you know, wonderful word. You know, it wouldn't be anything deeper or anything like that. But other times it would be a nice bit of information, you know, that would encourage. Um, another gentleman shared his daily devotion with me through another different kind of app on the cell phone. So there's a, there's a great encouragement. My sister-in-law, for 365 days, I mean, she's still doing it. Every single day, 5 o'clock in the morning, I can expect a text mess, messenger message from her with an encouraging word, a Bible verse, and something that's been on her heart. And she's n never broken that chain. So, you know, uh, God sends people to just pour into your life when you feel like, man, this is, I'm alone in this, right? How do you feel, Dave? I feel great. And you're sitting there, God tubes all over yourself and no you don't feel great but you have these wonderful encouraging people along the way who just take your heart and just you know lift you up in the same way that Moses hands were lifted up so um, you know who you are um, by the way I got one of the best hugs from Beta Lou Morgan <laughs> when I when I came when I snuck in the church and she had sent a message I missed you and uh, happened to be in the church one day, so I had to go over and get a hug. She gave one of the best hugs I've ever had in my life. It was great. <laughs> so, so sorry, I said I wasn't going to name any names, but I did. <laughs> but God just ministered his presence to you through others. Really, Absolutely. Really sharing. And, um, Brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah. some, some we don't even know. Uh, we don't have names for them, mm -hmm. but they just sent a text or a note. Um, surprised a lot of people at work who followed, um, there's two names we gave this year. Uh, one was a journey of hope. I was going to call it Cancer Chronicles or My Cancer Journey, 
my little sister said, no, that doesn't sound right. Call it Journey of Hope. It's like, yes, I embrace that. I'll take that, you know, because the words of your mouth mean something, right? When you glorify the Lord, he's able to glorify you through, through the word of God. So um, the other one was moments with majesty. So if you're in a season where you're forced to spend time going through something and working through something and feeling alone, um, moments with majesty was sort of my forced leisure, right? So I called it forced leisure, but he said moments with majesty, right? So if you're in the cave, that's a moment with majesty. That's a time when you can reflect on what the Lord's going to do once you're out of that, that place. So let me ask you, and I know that I'm sure there's a lot more from this time that you'll even just be unpacking in the days ahead that you're realizing just God's been revealing and speaking to you. But say I started at the beginning, there's a number of people sitting here um, in any number of situations, maybe it's medical, maybe it's not, but they're sitting in a dark season that much like David is far bigger than what their current, the current time of the year that they're in. Um, do you have a, a word of encouragement or maybe um, something that you would encourage them with this morning um, just to pass along? I think one of the things that I did, I don't think I really shared it with the family, was the Lord gives the head of the family a responsibility to provide a spiritual, you know, oversight or whatever in the family because the enemy attacks the strong man in the family first, right? So you, you, you need to stand firm, having done all to stand. Um, this year began with part of the word from Joshua where he said, um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So every, cal- every day of the calendar, that would be the first event that would pop up on my cell phone or on my computer. That That's where I've drawn the line. And so you need to establish, you know, if you're struggling with whatever struggle you're going through, establish with the Lord and with those that you love, especially your family, where you've drawn the line in your relationship with the Lord. This isn't going to change me or this isn't going to rock my world. This is going to draw me closer to him. And in doing so, we're going to draw the whole family. We're going to pull the family forward. So I, I think staying in the word, staying in prayer, making worship a part of your life, um, even, to, even now when I'm feeling better, um, just the other day, putting on the headphones, playing worship music, you enter the presence of the Lord right away, and you're able to spend, an hour can go by, and you're going, oh my goodness, I should have been doing the dishes or something, but, you know, but, but take, that, take those times. Uh, to be refreshed, and, and then make it a habit. Make it a daily habit, you know, especially when you're struggling. Because I, I, I'll be honest with you, if it wasn't for the presence of the Lord through this last year, um, uh, there's a difference between sadness and fear. Because of the prayers of the people, because of the encouraging words, there's been no fear. But has there been sadness? Yeah. Because it's kind of like, wow. You know, you, so allow yourself. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to, you know, have emotions that are, are, you know, we tend to as a, 
I think, as a body of Christ, not to address our emotions. God loves emotions. He himself wept in the front of Lazarus' tomb, right? For many reasons. One of them, he missed Lazarus. You know, he had a friendship with Lazarus. So uh, emotions are okay. Sad, experiencing sadness is okay. Uh, feeling as though your life has been turned upside down is okay. But then immediately get back to what you know is good. Dive into the word of God. Spend time in prayer. Surround yourself with people who are, I don't want to say the word positive because that sounds weird to me. It's who you know will pour into your life and, and remind you, trust the Lord with this. He will be with you. He will watch over you. He'll guide and protect and bless you through this. So, and, and then don't forget the worship part because that chunks away at the time. If, you, if you're restricted in any way where you can't do the things you normally wish you could, spend time worshiping the Lord. Um, uh, I can't emphasize that enough. That was probably the, one of the biggest blessings. So just before we, we close, I want to pray for you, um, and then we're going to take time to pray for individuals. But what's next? I know you're kind of you're reaching the end of this journey right now. You're in a space where your immune system is being rebuilt. Yeah, this is around um, day. Okay, so there's been seven chemo sessions. Uh, the last one was designed to destroy the bone marrow. They, took, they, they harvested stem cells from my body, froze them, and then they did seven days of chemo where it destroyed the bone marrow. And then they reintroduced the, the stem cells in your body. This is where our father created this. The doctors are using it. But, but God created these wonderful things called stem cells. They do not like to leave the bone marrow. They have to be forced out. So they use a chemical injection. They force them out. They harvest them. They put them in a fridge. And then they destroy the rest. And then on day, I think day eight for me, which is October 8th, it's called day zero. They reintroduce the stem cells. It took all day to gather them. Small little bag, about the size of a sandwich bag. It took all day to just gather the stem cells. Amazing, because they have to kind of scoop them out of a layer of blood. So they have a machine that layers your blood, and then they scoop out this layer of stem cells. And they can't destroy them, so they can't heat it or chemically do anything to it, but they can scoop out this layer somehow. And they put them in a bag, and it took all day to get that done. And then they reintroduced them on day zero, and that took only an hour to reintroduce them. What those wonderful little stem cells do their only function in life is to create more blood. And they, like homing pigeons, head right back to your bone marrow, set up house, and start producing more blood. God did that, right? The doctors don't have anything to say to the stem cells. Go back to where you belong. God designed that. So, you know, so God, God is using his own creation to bring life, right? So I feel that God... You know, if you're, you're saying, well, where's God in all of this? Well, right there is a really good example. Um, so you, even in your own blood, God is able to take these wonderful things called stem cells. I know I'm not a scientist or anybody, but how wonderful that he's designed part of your blood to do one thing, and that's create a whole new 
blood supply. And that's basically, so that's ended. They count from day zero to day 100. I'm around day 75 or something like that. So uh, day 100 means I can sort of mingle again. So I'm mingling before I'm supposed to mingle, but, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, the doctors have, one of the nice things too is, I think it was very early in the, on in the process, even after the stem cells, they kept, kept me in the hospital for 20 odd days uh, because my white blood cell count was less than 0.2 for seven days running. I'm thinking, how am I even alive? Because this, you know, anybody sneezes and that's it. Um, but it's amazing. So, so you get through those first 20 days, then they keep you another week. And basically when they release us to go home, they're like, you're fine. You're fine. You'll be all right. And Patty, my wife, she's sitting over there in the shadows. She's, uh, she, she's wonderful. She, her her uh, gifting, if you want to call it that, is just data. Just give me the facts. And she kept track of all my blood on an Excel spreadsheet. So she would walk into the doctor's office and say, well, what about this level? What about this level? What about this level? And the doctors would go, oh, Patty, it's okay. It's all right. You know, he's doing really, really well. So we really do give all the praise to the Lord. He's been so gracious to us. Um, were we sad about losing one another? Yes. But as a believer, I win. Right? That's what the, that's what the Lord, uh, that's what means. Follow him, be his disciple, love him. It means when you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're his. Um, you know, like Paul, I don't want to leave this life because I, I know I can still, you know, make an impact in your life and help you in your walk with the Lord. But if the Lord takes me, praise the Lord. I'm happy both ways. I am grateful that the Lord has given me more time to be with my family, to be with my wife. Uh, one of the encouraging little guys along the way has been the birth of our first grandson. His name is Samuel. Why my son named him that? I don't know. I thought it was going to be some weird, off-the-wall, modern name of some kind. But he named him Samuel. And I'm going, yes, Lord, I know who that's going to be. You know, so your grandpa's got a big, a lot of prayer to do for a little Samuel. Well, I would love to just thank you for being willing to come and share. And Patty, again, thank you for letting Dave come and, and be with us. He's got all the um, details. You want accurate details? about the whole process she's, she's got all of them she's got the details I want to pray for you we want to pray for you and then uh, then a couple more things and we'll take some time to pray over those uh, who may be we just thought it'd be good fitting in this morning to having our leaders available and praying for others and so we're going to end by having that but let's pray God I just thank you for Dave I thank you for Patty God I thank you for I thank you for your faithfulness God I thank you that in the unseen, unplanned turns in our lives, God, that, that we can have things charted out the way we think life will go, but even in those twists and turns that we're not seeing or not understanding that you're there. God, I thank you that Dave, Dave's life really reminds us of what we've seen all throughout King David's life and what we've seen all throughout Scripture, that, that you are faithful beyond the season, 
Um, you're faithful beyond the current circumstance we're facing. And Father, right now, I pray over it, Dave. God, I thank you for the great work that you are doing in his body. Lord, whether it be instantaneous healing or healing at the hands of doctors, Lord, you're the one who gets all the credit. And so we thank you for your continued faithfulness. We thank you for just the times, God, this past year that you've really, in a sense, brought David to a place of pause, God, to be able to hear your voice and, and to hear from you in a new way, and the way you've used him as a minister to those that you bring into his life around him. God, I pray for Dave, for Patty, that you would continue to renew them and strengthen them. God, I pray that at their home would be a place, God, where your presence abides, God, in a renewing and a, and a restoring way. God, we pray for continued recovery and healing in Dave's body. We pray for continued restoring, God, of all things. And I just give him to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dave, thank you. Thank you again for sharing. Why don't you give Dave a hand as he returns. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we prepare to close. The worship team or those who are coming can go ahead and come and get into place. But as we, you know, we've been talking about the life of David and the, the dark season that he found himself in and then Dave Cochran was just so gracious to open up just a small sliver of some of the journey that he's been on these past years. I can't, or this past year, I can't help but think about the Christmas season and the Christmas space that we're reminded of the hope that we have through the gift that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah, I read earlier during our time of worship, I read uh, some of the names that Isaiah used for, the, for Christ. Um, but in Isaiah, earlier in Isaiah 9, really in Isaiah 8, it's describing the condition of the earth and the condition of its inhabitants. And it says that when you look towards the earth, you see distress, you see darkness, you see people trembling in fear. Um, you see people just living in a very dark season. But then listen to how Isaiah describes the coming of Christ. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And I think I'm reminded in the Christmas story, we can look in the history, the, the space of history when Christ was born. It is in a very dark season, a very dark space in the nation of Israel's time. The prophets had gone quiet. There really had not been a lot of just ministry of the presence of God and things had become ritual and routine. But it says in the midst of that darkness that, that God stepped in. He stepped into the dark space of human history and began his work and be, re, began his redemptive work. And the thing is that when he stepped in through the gift of his son, through the birth of Jesus Christ, he came in a way that most weren't anticipating. In fact, it was, it was a, a beginning of a work that most didn't even notice. Only a handful of people were invited to come in and to witness the birth of the Christ child. But yet that, that small, almost unseen uh, in, intervention of God through the birth of his son has sent ripple effects that has us to today still reflecting on the gift that God has given us and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And the simple truth I think that we can see when we look in the Christmas story, we can see how Isaiah says it in 9, we can see it in Matthew, and we can see in Luke, is that we're reminded that God is with us in every space, he's with us in every season, and he's with us in every detail, that he's, he's always at work. And so I just encourage you this morning in this Christmas season, once the week of Christmas is passed and eventually the decorations come down and friends and family and all the festivities are done, and you find yourself still dealing with that season, that space, that challenge, that difficulty you've been facing, to be reminded that just like during the Christmas season when, when Christ sent his son 
in a way that was unseen and most did not even anticipate that God is at work in your dark space. He's at work in your dark place and he's there to encourage. He's there to hope, give you hope. He's there to deliver. He's there to answer. That he is still, as Isaiah says, he is still the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace and the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. That he is still active and he is still very much in control. Um, when it comes to the Christmas story, we can easily look in our time and we, people will celebrate that you know, the, the birth of Christ is the beginning of, Christ, of God's plan. But really, the birth of Christ is not the beginning of God's plan. It's the climax of God's plan. It's the climax of what he had already been doing, even in the darkness when people didn't see it. And so I just encourage you, this Christmas season, really this Christmas Sunday, to be encouraged, to be filled with hope, and to set your eyes on the Prince of Peace the one who is in control and who really presides over every season, every space, every challenge in your life.